0: Welcome to the Mindful Mystics Podcast. I'm Cheryl Knight-Wilson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Karen Frazier and Chucky G. How are you both tonight? Uh, doing okay. Doing okay. Yep. I'm, I'm doing
1: better than, than Ducky Chucky.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yes. I'm doing fine. My daughter decided to put 220 little mini little ducks all over my house, and I'm finding them at, literally everywhere. I mean, everywhere.
1: I I can't wait till you crawl in bed tonight because you can bet (laughs) they're all over in
2: there. I know. I swear to God, they're probably underneath my sheets and everything for crying out loud.
0: All right. Um, It's amazing. Um, I wish I could watch. (laughs) I do too.
1: I wish she had stuck a a webcam in your apartment so that we could all be enjoying this journey with you. So look, guys, I want to get right to our guest um, because we have about 30 minutes with them. It's a really interesting subject. I'm actually going to let
0: Cheryl introduce it. So go for it, Cheryl. Yeah, um, we've talked to our guest before earlier this year. And, um, he talked to us about his research into high strangeness. Um, and we're excited to have him back because tonight we're going to talk about his research and findings into the Philadelphia experiment. His name is Maxim Furick, and we're just excited to jump right in. Welcome Maxim.
2: Yes. Thank you, Cheryl and Karen and Chucky. It's great to be back. And, uh, you know, really enjoy uh, uh, Mindful Mystics and what you you do there and what you do with Paranormal Underground. So thank you so much for, you know, your good work in the field and for, you know, keeping the the conversation alive. I think that's probably the most important thing that we need to do. You know, just keep the conversation going and, uh, you know, talk about the uh, different areas and try to Look at the different nuances, the shades of gray, because I don't think our field is uh, is is draped in uh, shades of black and white. I think it's just like it's it's muted colors and shades of gray, and that's where we're, you know, finding yeah. all, the, uh, doing all the research and, and coming up with all the discoveries. So um, you know, uh, let's let's just go there. It's it's the it's the gray area that I, that yeah. I think that we need to explore.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for being a contributor to this space because you write articles for Paranormal Underground Magazine every now and then. And the latest one that you wrote, which was just published in our November 2023 issue, featured the Philadelphia Experiment and a very intriguing interview with a, a first a, a, someone who had a firsthand account of this story or had some knowledge of this story. And can you start by first talking about what is the Philadelphia Experiment and how you found this witness?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, to give an overview of what the Philadelphia Experiment is, I mean, when we take a look at it and we check all the boxes, there's a World War II secret experimentation, there's uh, alleged government cover-ups, there's time travel, there's teleportation, uh, there's possible murder, and there's also, uh, some of the formal scientific, uh, um, uh, minds and, uh, inventors of the era. So all of those are wrapped around the Philadelphia experiment. And basically what it was, it was an experiment that tried to cloak a destroyer escort and tried to make it invisible to radar. And according to the legend, that, uh, that experiment went wrong. It went sideways, and uh, there were uh, hor- horrific consequences to that. I was able to go up to Derry, New Hampshire and mm-hmm. interview a gentleman named Fred Tracy. And w- anybody, for anybody who's following the Philadelphia Experiment narrative, I mean, we know about Carl Allen, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, Carlos Allende. Uh, we know about uh, Al Belak and Phil Schneider. Uh, but I claim that Fred Tracy is just as important to the narrative as these other individuals. And Fred Tracy um, was a friend of my cousin. My cousin Jim Furyk was a medic. He was in Vietnam. He was spending some time in New Hampshire and heard about and met and met Fred. Sorry, met Fred. Met he met Fred Tracy my cousin, Jim. And he, he came, Jim came back to Pennsylvania and told me about this guy. So Jim called him up and I talked to Fred Tracy and Fred had personal information about the Philadelphia experiment. So we talked and we had numerous conversations and then he invited me up to Derry, New Hampshire. So I drove up from Northeastern Pennsylvania, spent a little bit over a weekend or maybe four days, took pictures, interviewed him, uh, you know, with my old Sony tape recorder and all that. And Fred's story was this. Fred claimed, Fred was uh, served aboard the USS Antietam. It was an aircraft carrier. And while he was aboard the ship, they did these degaussing experiments with him. Now, the degaussing experiment was something that uh, the United States, the Allies, had did it was uh, the technique was invented in Canada, but what they would do is during World War II, there was uh, Nazi uh, magnetic mines that were wrecking havoc on all the Allied shipping that was they are crossing the Atlantic. And what it was is that that magnetic current between the ship uh, and the uh, and the bomb would, would explode the bomb. So they had to find a way to go and render that uh, that magnetism. Uh, they needed to find a way to neutralize it, and that. Uh, element it was measured in terms of gauss, so they had to degauss the ship, and they used a procedure where they wrapped the ship's call, hull with massive cables, and then they used electricity. That electricity rendered the ship and its metal parts non-magnetic, so they were invisible to the to the radar and to these enemy mines. So that's what the degaussing experiment was. It was, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was a fact. It was a World War II thing that w- that they were using. And we were doing a whole lot of things during World War II to win the war. And, uh, for example, you know, uh, everybody's seen Oppenheimer, but the Manhattan Project was one of the things. Uh, LSD mind control, uh, remote viewing, uh, Enrico Fermi's... Um, uh, plutonium rod experiments uh, underneath the uh, Sh- University of Chicago, and then all of the things that Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla were doing. So it was just like a wonderful, you know, just wondrous uh, time when you had all this experimentation. Uh, a lot of it secretive, but this was uh, what came out of the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, Fred Tracy said that he, uh, his men aboard the Antietam uh, under, uh participated in this de Gaussing uh, experiment, and uh, there were a lot if, it was almost as though they experienced radioactivity. Uh, he had uh, shock white hair when I met him. He was 60 years old. He looked a lot older than he really was. He had to carry uh, uh, oxygen around with him, and he was in really bad shape. And he believed that this was because of the degaussing experiments, with, 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 and it happened numerous times aboard the Antietam. So Fred Tracy validates the fact that that the Navy, the military, used these degaussing techniques. The other thing, though, that Fred brings to the to the to the fore is he claimed that during the end of the war, and it was around maybe May of 1945. He said that Secretary of the Navy, that was Admiral James Forrestal, issued a directive and there was a lot of uh, low morale and there was widespread rumors about the, the uh, Philadelphia Experiment. They called that Project Rainbow, uh, but it was actually the Philadelphia Experiment. But anyway, Forrestal issued a directive to clarify the allegations and Fred Tracy said that his crew on the Antietam were sworn to secrecy. They were repeatedly warned that it would be an act of treason to reveal the directive's contents. And the memo was read to them during the final days of World War II, and for, uh, for also acknowledged that the Eldridge's degaussing operation had gone wrong. And the quote that I have here from Fred Tracy, if I could find here it is. Let me just read that. And this is from Forrest's statement. It said, quote, it was then decided to stop the degaussing operation. This was aboard the, uh, the Eldridge, the destroyer escort, to stop the degaussing operation to see what was wrong. The ship could be seen, although all the electrical cables could still be in a coil position as if being supported. The boat was not there, nor was any member of its crew present. At the naval yard, a mist appeared and grew heavy. Finally, the ship reappeared. When the ship was boarded, severe damage was found to the ship and terrible effects on the crew. And what happened was when they turned the switch with the Philadelphia Experiment, the USS Eldridge was teleported from Philadelphia naval yards to Norfolk. Stayed there for about 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, depending on the different narratives, and then back to Philadelphia again. And when they went aboard the ship, they found out that the men suffered terrible burns, uh, disorientation. Some of the men were actually psychotic. They were mentally ill. Uh, several deaths. And then the part that everybody remembers was the uh, 1984, I believe, movie, The Philadelphia Experiment, where the men, two men were still alive, but they were fused into the steel hull of the ship. And that visual image from that 1984 motion picture is the thing I think that most people remember about the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Experiment. You know, it, it went from uh, Uh, top secret military operation to pop culture, to pop culture mythology, you know, to this movie that everybody talked about. So um, we, I believe that uh, the experiment was legit, that it actually happened, but it went sideways. And uh, we had a very, very difficult time in coming up with information. Now, during my research, I contacted William Moore, who, who wrote, uh, the Philadelphia Experiment, and also uh, a number of other individuals. But I contacted the National Archives and Records Administration, and there was a Richard A. von Donhoff, and he responded to me. He sent me this memo, and I'd like to read this quote. It's just a very small quote, uh, short quote, but uh, it's it's part of what I think is a government uh, cover-up or just denial, this mm-hmm. quote. As far as the Department of the Navy can determine, the fictitious story of the destroyer, USS Eldridge, from the Delaware River off the League Island Navy Yard to Hampton Roads back in 1943 began as a practical joke among staff members of the Naval Research Laboratory here in Washington. The humorous commentary on a theoretical paper on electromagnetism got out of hand, and soon achieved the status of fact and legend. So, you know, when you look at some of the keywords like fictitious story and Mm -hmm. practical joke and, uh, you know, theoretical paper and legend, uh, I mean, uh, it was just a total denial uh, of anything. I mean, it didn't even acknowledge the fact that, yes, the gossing was commonplace with the Allies, and that was used extensively. So, you know, um, but there was none of that. So that was, I have that in my archives. And I have that letter from the uh, National Archives and Records Administration uh, reproduced in my book, Co-Region Hoodoo, uh, where I have a chapter on the Philadelphia Experiment.
0: So so can I break in real quick? I So there's a lot going on here.
2: <laughs> yeah, Obviously. well, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot, a lot of players. Right. And and uh, yes, you're absolutely
0: right. So, okay. So there's all these different parts and players have there been people or officers that were or were you know military personnel who were on board the ship the um the ship who were a part of the philadelphia experiment that have come out and said i was there this is what happened and they've told their story or have they been threatened and nobody's come forward that actually was supposedly a participant in this experiment
2: well we have people that have come forward uh Carl Allen, uh, AKA Carlos Allende. He came forward. He said that he was a merchant Marine. He was there in Philadelphia on the USS Foresight, uh, a, a, a vessel, a merchant Marine vessel. And he claimed that he saw the ship being, uh, teleported and then rematerializing with the green blue mist and all. Okay. He was okay. one of the first witnesses. Al Belak, claimed that after watching the 1984 motion picture, he saw it for the first time in in 1985, and he claimed that he suffered flashbacks and repressed memories. He said that after seeing that movie, he said, it hit me like a bomb. And what was interesting is that after the motion picture of 1984 and after the book, um, there was sort of like a law. And that was when Al Belak uh, appeared. Now, he came, he introduced himself to the world in 1995. He was at the Preparedness Expo in California. This is where all these people believe they are going to be taken over by the New World Order. And uh, there's all these clandestine black ops, you know, with the government. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of radical people that were there. But Belak claimed that he was aboard. The Eldridge, he claimed he was an engineer that pulled the switch. Now, again, he didn't know about this until he watched the movie and and, re, and, and uh, recalled all those repressed memories. Uh, he claimed that the ship used high-powered magnetic fields. With They had coils that were wrapped around the destroyer. He said that the huge generators that they used were designed by Tesla, Nikola Tesla and mm-hmm. there's a lot of documentation that tesla and einstein were involved in a lot of the back um you know the, the uh the the uh, scenes in 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 the back the, uh, yeah. uh, the backstory of the uh of the ex- of the experiment but he also said albelat claimed that uh, he was uh teleported to the year 2137 he was hospitalized he talked about floating cities uh uh, a highly advanced civilization. He described a place where no banks, no money, no military, no wars, everything was free. And then after that, the Philadelphia Experiment didn't die because Al Bielak claimed that he was also teleported, you know, time travel, to mm-hmm. Fort Hero on Long Island where he became project director for the Montauk Project. Now, Montauk Project is allegedly the epicenter for the CIA mind control and time travel experimentation. You know, we've heard a lot about um, uh, Montauk from um, the, uh, I'm trying to think, what's the name of the uh, strange? Montauk Monster? No, Strange. uh, I'm sorry. The movie, the Netflix. uh
0: Stranger Things?
2: Stranger Things, right. Okay, so Stranger Things is a takeoff of the Montauk Project. Uh I believe there's something to this, that there may have been something there at Montauk because even in the latest issue of Paranormal Underground, you write about the CIA's Mm -hmm. Ultra, where they used LSD. It is documented, folks. I mean, they dosed their scientists. They dosed these Johns that were going to see prostitutes. I mean, they did this (coughs) just to see what would happen if somebody was introduced to LSD and didn't Mm -hmm. know about it. And as a former drug and alcohol counselor, you know, uh, uh, to have a successful uh, LSD experience, I mean, the good stuff, not the crap that's, uh, that's dosed with fentanyl and all the other crazy stuff, bath salts and that, but to have a safe, Uh, lsd uh, experience you need to have a proper set and setting in other words you your mindset is that you're going to do the acid you're going to have maybe five hours of hallucinatory bliss and and, you know a very pleasant uh, experience listening to music and all that and then it's going to be over after five minutes and you're going to be safe because you're in your living room and you're with friends so that's the proper way to do it set and setting but the way the CIA did it, uh, the, the, uh, participants did not know about the set and they were in very, very life-threatening, uh, settings. As a matter of fact, one of the, uh, scientists that they dosed jumped out of a, uh, a window and he committed suicide. He was just going crazy. So that was the CIA doing that. So, uh, I contend that there might be something to Montauk, uh, that there was probably something going on. And why not? I mean, if you're going to do this experimentation, pick a place, you know, Philadelphia, Boston, Nashville. How about Long Island? How about Montauk for heroes? So that's what I think that they did. And um, again, uh, it was uh, Al Belak that told us that. Uh, uh, In my research, I've come up with what I call these uh, symbiotic relationships. There's at least one, two, three, four, five grouping. These were people that sort of they were partners or teams that sort of completed each other. Uh, Dr. Morris Jessup uh, who who wrote the book The Case for the UFO and is one of the leading players in the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, he was sort of associated with Carl Allen, you know Carlos Allende. Fred Tracy with Admiral James Forrestal and by the way uh, when Fred Tracy read that directive, from, uh, Admiral Forrestal. A couple years later, Admiral Forrestal committed suicide. He jumped out of the 16th floor, floor window at the Bethesda Naval Yard and committed suicide. A very strange death. There was a number of deaths associated with the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, Al Belak and his friend, Phil Schneider, they both made their appearance at that preparedness expo. Schneider claimed that his father was a former German uh, U-boat commander who was assigned to the Eldridge. So again, you have these people that have inserted themselves into the narrative. And then Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla, and we really need to go and just talk a little bit about them because with Einstein, he had his unified field theory, and the Philadelphia experiment is just filled with people trying to go and uh, validate that and investigate that. And that was what uh, Morris Jessup was doing in the case for the UFO. So with Einstein's unified field field theory, he was trying to incorporate gravity and electromagnetism into one. It's a theoretical thing, but if we could do that, if we could go and harness gravity and have anti-gravity devices and machines, I mean, that's the Holy grail. We could conquer the world. So, Tesla was the other one, and there's even more fascinating things with Tesla. He was experimenting on with time and space, how how time and space could be influenced by electricity and magnetic fields, and believed that he could that that could lead to time travel. And he believed that he was actually able to successfully do a time travel uh, experiment. He was working at the University of Chicago. He was conducting um, experiments. Uh, to try to induce invisibility through high uh, charges of electricity. And what Tesla was doing became the foundation for Project Rainbow or the Philadelphia Experiment. So what happened was Tesla was sent to the Princeton University and, and him and Albert Einstein were working together on the project. And with the Philadelphia experiment, Tesla supposedly made all the calculations, the drawing. As uh, Al Bielak said, Tesla was the one who provided the generators that were used for the teleportation of the Eldridge. So uh, Tesla was another one who died a suspicious death. Uh, he died in 1943, the same year as the Philadelphia experiment. And what happened was he had something like 80 documents. And we know this because his nephew uh, somehow knew of this and the FBI only returned 60 of these documents, but they confiscated all of Tesla's secret documents. And there were supposed to be alleged plans for a death ray weapon. And uh, that was, uh, you know, sort of well known in the, uh, in the UFO circles. So, when we look at, you know, we look at, I look at symbolic relationships, uh, with the Philadelphia experiment, but also with the deaths, Dr. Morris Jessup committed suicide, uh, in a parking lot down in Miami, Florida. He, uh, ran a, uh, a hose from the, his, uh, exhaust to, to his car, committed suicide. And many people feel that there was something very, uh, strange about this because he was supposed to go and re, uh, a reveal to a doctor Valentine the results of his experiments, and uh, he—they uh, were optimistic that we were going to come to the to the, some conclusions. But there was a book by David Ritchie. It was called UFO: The Definitive Guide to Unidentified Flying Objects, nineteen ninety-four, and he claimed that Admiral Forrestal had died under mysterious circumstances, and possibly uh, re uh, murdered for what he knew. So, you know, he died from uh, allegedly from carbon monoxide poisoning in his car. Uh, it was ruled a suicide, but theorists believe that he was silenced to keep him from revealing things that he knew. So Jessup committed suicide. Admiral James Forrestal committed suicide. Phil Schneider, who was Al Bilak's friend and was at the, uh, number of these, uh, conferences, Al Schneider was strangled military style. And Schneider was the one who claimed that his father was, were, was working on the Eldridge. He was a former uh, German U boat uh, commander. Mm-hmm. But Schneider claimed that he was working in New Mexico in these Dungs, DUMBS, D U M B S, deep underground military bases. And he claimed that he was a, uh, an, uh, an engineer and uh, an explosives engineer. And what was happening, they were drilling down in this dump, and this is under Dulce, uh, New Mexico, and the drill bits kept on breaking. So Phil went down there with, and he was, it was interesting because they had green berets and black berets there, and they were armed. And, he, and that was the first thing that, uh, that made him curious. Because he was just somebody that was that was hired to to work down there, so they sent him down there. He was going to take a look and see what was causing the drill bits to break, and uh, he was going to use the explosives, maybe C four, you know, strate- strategically placed to go and do the blasting down there. Now, two and a half miles sounds about right, you know, um, uh, that makes sense. But when they went down there, they encountered aliens. Uh, Uh, Schneider claimed that he killed two of the greys. They were about four foot tall. But Schneider also claims that a seven foot gray had a laser and blasted him, almost killed him and blasted two of his fingers. Whenever Phil Schneider would go around on the circuit, on the UFO and paranormal circuit, and the New World Order Circuit, he would always start his introduction by saying, and you could check this out on YouTube, he would start by saying, if you they find me dead, you'll know that I've been murdered. It started off with that. And then the other one, he would show his fingers, and he would talk about being blasted by the uh, laser from the seven-foot gray. Uh, they also talked about the Dulce Wars, where there was a battle uh, under, underground uh under New Mexico between the, uh, uh, green and black berets, you know, the, uh, us, the Americans and the, uh, aliens, uh, about 60 Americans supposedly were killed during these Dulce wars. Um, there was a deal there. There was a Granada treaty where we knew we allowed the aliens to stay there. We were trying to reverse engineer their, their, uh, their craft, we let them stay there. They were allowed to go and uh, capture cattle, you know, do these cattle mutilations because they needed some of these enzymes. They were also allowed to capture human beings, but they had to return them and let let us know, you know, how many they took and all this. So evidently there were some. There was some conflict between this relationship, and it led to this war. And this is kind of interesting because typically we talk about the Space Brothers being benevolent. You know, uh, Charles uh, or, yeah, uh, uh, G- uh, George Adamski was the one who talked about the benevolent Space Brothers that came here just to warn us about uh, not to destroy ourselves, you know, with the atomic bombs. But with Phil Schneider's narrative, the uh, Greys were nasty people, and uh, you know, and uh, and there was a war underneath New Mexico. So the story went from uh, the Philadelphia experiment to Montauk to the Dulce Wars, it, and there was a connection. There was everyone was connected to the Philadelphia experiment, and we don't know. Um, I always look, and I've done a lot of research on George Adamski. Adamski was there in the 40s. He was just ready to insert himself into the UFO narrative around 47, uh, after uh, Kenneth Arnold saw those crafts in Mount Rainier, and after the Roswell incident. Right after that, uh, uh, George Adamski claimed that he saw something like 145 UFOs, and then he claims that he met uh, uh an alien from venus and that he was taken on trips and all this so he became the first contactee and uh, you know totally debunked i mean his flying pictures of flying saucers were just amateurish pictures of uh crates these uh uh breeding uh crates that that they use for for chicks uh you know and uh, you know, and, uh ge light bulbs and just like really bizarre amateurish things but uh he uh, Adamski had his followers, and he uh, brought a lot to the field of ufology, uh, especially with his the hope and optimism that there there could be a better world. And you know, and this brought to you by the Space Brothers. So you know, Adamski sort of gave us a you know he replaced Jesus with uh, you know with these Venusians and Venetians and uh, uh, some of the other aliens. So interesting person who still has his followers today.
1: Okay, Chuck or Karen. I hate to tell you this, but we've already gone like 30 minutes. It went well, by really really
2: fast. God. Did I go on to like a crazy rant? No.
0: <laughs> I mean, we're getting <laughs> super involved, right? Yeah, so. it was fascinating. I have a million more questions, um, yeah. but you know, we're we're out of time, but um, this is this is something obviously it's controversial. Yeah, and you've got, you know, a lot of skeptics um, and a lot of uh, naysayers. And then you've got people who think it's possible that this could have happened and others who know that it's happened. So it's a really, really intriguing series of events, not just one event, but, but a huge series. So I I would love for you to tell our listeners how to uh, find out more about you and your, your very fascinating books. Before they do that, though, he does that
1: show, though, Cheryl, Maxim, if you could just also, like, you gave people a taste, right, of what this all is. If somebody wants to go deeper down the rabbit hole, where do they start?
2: Yeah, well, if you want to start, uh, just Google uh, Philadelphia Experiment and start reading about it. Uh, There's plenty of uh, YouTube videos. Uh, They all offer another little slant, another shade. Uh, you could do the same thing. You could listen to Al Belak, uh on YouTube and, uh, uh, and listen to his narrative, Phil Schneider, all those people. But what I want to say just in closing is that uh, there's reason to believe that something happened uh, August 27th, 1943 in Philadelphia. That Philadelphia experiment most likely did happen, but we don't exactly know the beginning and end of that because there's been a massive government denial and cover up. Uh, Montauk, the same thing. I believe that there there was probably something happening there that pertained to mind control, uh, possibly time travel. And uh, uh, and the same thing with the Doucet Wars. We know that there's underground cities and caverns. I mean, look at what's happening over there with uh, Israel and uh, Hamas. I mean, the network of uh, underground tunnels. And uh, so those these tunnels are all over the world. You know, North Korea, Russia, United States, and Dulce under underneath North uh, New Mexico. So, um, so there's 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 a, a lot of curdles uh, of truth, and then we need to just find out who are the opportunists who are just making things up, and right. and, and who are the people that are being truthful, and uh, you know so. Um, if anyone's interested, I, I have a website called www.maximfurek.com, M A X I M F U R E K. You could uh, read about the Philadelphia experiment in my book, uh, Coal Region Hoodoo Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit. And if you contact me, I could certainly uh, uh, fix you up with an autographed copy. And, um, and my new book, my current book, is Flying Saucer Esoteric. Uh, the altered states of ufology. And I'm hoping that maybe in the uh, real near future we could go and do a uh, another interview on mindful mystics and um, you know and talk about that.
0: Yeah. Works for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. Absolutely. These are just fascinating topics. I can't get enough of them. So <laughs> I'm I would look forward to that.
2: Yeah so would I well thank you. I'm I'm so glad that uh I have a relationship with uh, with uh, Mindful Mystics and uh, Paranormal Underground, and uh, uh, for the uh, folks out there that you need to really check out, uh, uh, Paranormal Underground is just like an awesome publication, really good articles, and even in the current issue, and uh, my article on the Philadelphia Experiment, and then the article on the CIA MK Ultra, which was just a fascinating, fascinating narrative, and there's no... Uh, uh, it's not ambiguous. I mean, it actually happened and we have the data, we have the time and place and the, and the body. So uh, you know, that's a, that, that, one, that one's on the CIA.
1: Well, Maxim, I love your passion yeah. for your topics and the, the amount of research you do. Um, it makes you super interesting to to talk to and and to hear your take on things.
2: Well, thank you so much. I think we need to go, like I said, I think we need to go and, take a look at those shades of gray and those nuances and try to figure what those are and add, uh, defining words and vocabulary because the, the uh, scientific community just isn't keeping up with this. You know, we had Newton's law of motion and, uh, gravity. Then we had Einstein and we're waiting for more. So those were the pretty much big, uh, theories up till now. And, uh, you know, uh, the scientific community, in a sense, I mean, we rely on that, but in a sense, uh, they've sort—they're of, sort of letting us down.
0: Yeah, um, I think that this is; these are topics um, that we need to explore more fully. And I am looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking to you again, Maxim. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us tonight. And please stay tuned for our next episode of Mindful Mystics. You can go to Podbean or iTunes to catch all of the episodes and you can go to paranormalunderground.net to read the magazine. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: Yeah. Thanks everybody.